Hello, this is Harrison Kim, and you're listening to Working with People by PageStep. The Working with People podcast is for executives, managers, and people leaders. We bring people experts together to provide you with relevant content on how to think about and manage your most important asset, your talent. Hey, how's it going, Zara? Uh, it's a Wonder Woman Wednesday, so it's going <laughs> wonderful. Awesome. <laughs> So today we're going to be talking about examining talent management through a DNI lens. And this is a pretty broad topic. So we're going to go back and forth a little bit. But before we get to that, tell us who we are and what you do. So my name is Zara Espinoza, or you may know me as Lara. Either or name is fine, but most people know me as Zara. Professionally, I got that name when I lived and worked abroad as a cultural ambassador and instructor in Japan on the JET program. It's a mix of my first and my last names and a little context. I am wholly Asian, um, Japanese and Korean, but adopted by a Mexican-American family and raised in Michigan. So that's where my very unique name and background comes from, and it's very much informed my work and life experiences, particularly in the HR or people and culture sector, where I say that I'm not just a manager of talent or human resources, but also Jedi strategist, because if you couldn't tell already, I'm a big nerd, um, <laughs> especially for comic books and pop culture. And I do love Star Wars as well. So that's my favorite acronym for DEI, which you add the J, you put some justice, equity, diversity, and inclusion, which spells Jedi. So gotcha. I am one with the force. Awesome. So let's start with talent management. I think this is a pretty broad term that gets thrown around a lot. What is talent management in your mind? Oh, wow. Talent management, you know, it can differ from every person, every company, every little organization or department. But overall, to me, talent management is how you treat your talent from beginning, middle to end, which, you know, if you want to put the buzzwords in there, that's for attraction or talent acquisition, which includes anywhere from like sourcing, hiring and onboarding to your development, which could be L&D or learning and development training coaching, et cetera, or um, performance management, but also the retainment, which can really encompass all of it because talent can be let go or can go on their own volition at any time. So to me, it's the holistic experience of how you treat your people and how you value them. Awesome. So we all know that unconscious biases affect all sorts of people decisions, right? And I think people are complicated. People data is complicated. (laughs) People making decisions about people are also complicated. Um, (laughs) In talent management, what are some of the most common unconscious biases that you've seen in your work? Oh, wow. Well, just to level set for a little bit, like biases could be an assumption or a stereotype that people take. It's a mental shortcut people take in people's minds. And I think the biggest mental shortcut I see people take in talent management, especially managers, is this person needs or should be just like me or just what I want. There was always this golden rule growing up. I was told of like, treat people how you want to be treated. Now it's being a bigger buzz, which I think we need to find the happy medium and balance with is the platinum rule, which is treat people how they'd like to be treated. So mm-hmm. with that, I feel like the big bias is that kind of in and out group bias. Are you like me? Right. There's confirmation bias. There's so many words for it. But overall, it's a lot of not as much reflecting inward, but then projecting what you think is right right and how you should be. And is this person just like me or just what I want? And just making these assumptions of like, oh, just because they're quiet at meetings, they probably don't care about the job, but maybe they're just introverted. It's a lot of that behavioral bias of just assuming someone is the way they are because of your own experiences only instead of being curious and trying to dive a little deeper and truly genuinely get to know people and try to make a connection beyond just what's immediate. Yeah. And it's interesting because and someone who's interviewed for jobs, of course, you know, I think about relatability, 
right? You almost want to like mirror that person a little bit to get to those biases, if you will. And I think it's a tricky thing, right? Especially when you're in the interview process where you're like, hey, I need to be liked by this person and mm-hmm. kind of and trying to figure out that balance of who you are versus what you think this person will like, which tends to be someone like themselves. Any thoughts on that? Well, I... It's, that's so complex. And again, um, yeah. I'm going to use an acronym that is very popular in my consulate groups culture from the JET program called ESID. Every situation is different. That could be <laughs> reapplied to every single person is different yeah. um, and more. But with that, I really do think the word authenticity, bring your authentic self to worth can be a trap. Another shower word, my friends. Right. <laughs> it can be a trap in the sense that I feel like people genuinely mean it, but people are not putting the real oomph and juice that it needs behind it. When I say people, I mean hiring managers and teams. They say, I want you to bring your authentic self to work, but then I don't want to hear about when you graduated from college because then I'm going to assume that you're too old. Mm-hmm. I don't want to hear about the troubles that you're facing living in a food desert. So right now you're having to take care of so many children and making sure that lunches are prepared. I just want you to hear what I want you to tell me. Or from the candidates aspect where it's like, oh, I want to spill all my guts and all my authenticity on this interview to gauge if this job is a right fit for me, which can be good. But then maybe you won't even get to the next step where you even talk to the hiring manager where it counts, because maybe you just said a little too much that would just turn anyone off in the sense of just like that was a lot for 30 minutes. So (laughs) it's really hard to strike that balance. But I do think that be able to not just read a room, but read people both implicitly and explicitly, both nonverbal and verbal cues to be able to make the best assessment. You can't just have a one-size-fits-all, save-a-bullet approach. Awesome. I love that. Yeah, it's, it's definitely a complicated situation. So when you think about processes and strategies that organizations can take to implement and help de-bias talent management or these people decisions, what are some of the things that you've seen work well? There's so many, again, ESID, every situation is different, but I'd have to say really diving deep into not just understanding, but to invest and also implement and consistently and constantly practice equitable design. I really got this really great definition of it, which, you know, it's about like, you know, designing fairly. I think I had heard a lot of people say that equity, designing equity is being impartial to your design, but Truly, and work a, when you really look at something with a DEI lens or a Jedi lens, it's hard to be impartial, right? With these issues right. of systemic racism and all these other biases that we have for the intersectionalities of our identity, such as race, class, gender, your education, et cetera, right. et cetera, your location. You can't really be that impartial. I think what people mean is that you can't be biased towards just only what you want. You need to not just meet the candidate or your employee or your colleague or your friend partway. You have to meet them halfway or more. And so I really say when you think about equitable design and designing fairly, you have to really think to your situation of who am I designing this for? Who's going to benefit? What am I designing this for? The what and the who can be very different. You can say, oh, I'm designing this for Latinx or Latin or Latino people, but Latino people are not a monolith, nor are Asians and nor are white people, nor are black people. So are you doing this for black women? Are you doing this for queer Asian people, et cetera, et cetera. Getting as specific as you can and for what level is what's something where you can help de-bias. I don't truly think you can ever get away from Mm. bias. I think it is something that is innate to our human nature. It's something that helps us survive. Again, it's that mental shortcut that we all take, whether it's fight or flight, but I think it's about slowing down 
and really taking the time to think, even if it takes another week for that hiring process, even if it takes a couple extra one-on-ones with your employee, really slowing down and giving the time, not just to breathe in the same space or virtual rooms now, but to, you know, really have this, what I want to put out the concept there is that multi-partiality in the space Mm -hmm. where you try to support as many stakeholders or things at stake in the sense of not just the, when I say stakeholders, I refer to people, things at stake are could be like the company's revenue or a person's job or career development and try to give quotations equal attention to the multiple identities or demands in your room or at your situation. So, and especially giving that extra attention to equal out, I'm doing quotation signs with my fingers for equals, (laughs) giving attention though, and this is where the equity, the fairness comes in, to identities and demands that usually are absent or unheard. Right. So that's something I want to put out there, that idea of multi-partiality, because everyone's like, oh, I need to be fair. So then they think they need to be absent or they can't do something. And that turns a lot of people off. So I think we need to pivot our thinking to not just designing fair and equitably, but designing with that multi-partiality where you can hold two truths or multiple truths at the same time or multiple mm-hmm. needs at the same time and not try to address all at once, but to slow down and really think about quality over quantity. I love that. Thinking about it from multiple aspects and quality over quantity. I love the points that you brought up there. When you think about these DNI or Jedi programs, which <laughs> is quite a bit of a hot topic, especially this year for many, many organizations, what are some of the most common problems that you've seen with implementations of these programs? Thinking of them as programs. Truly, what I mean by that, and I think program is a way we are using it in language to have people understand that this is a longer term thing. However, Programs also have a beginning and an end. I think people need to start thinking about how they view diversity, inclusion, how they practice and put into process and set policies on DNI, not as a program, but as a business imperative that it right. literally is salt peppered and seasoned and embedded into every single part of your business. That's, I think, the biggest problem is people think, oh, you know, we have a diversity problem, which means we're not hiring black and Latinx people or promoting women, et cetera, et cetera, or think all Asians are alike. And so we have an issue or our employees are upset. So we're just going to hire this one person or task our employee research groups or give it to HR to handle or this one person, these unrealistic expectations. And this should be done by March, shouldn't it? (laughs) <laughs> well, I mean, like even just with what's happened with George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and the unfortunately endless amount of black, queer, trans names we have added to this list of fatalities to police brutality. It's one of those things where it was the summer of allyship, right? Mm-hmm. Well, allyship didn't end at the summer. Diversity, equity, inclusion programs don't just end at the end of the program. They need to be pivoted and not just being programs, but being business imperatives and strategies. Just like with employee research groups, a lot of people think like, oh, you know, we support black lives. So we're just going to support our black research group. Well, that's a start. But where do we go from here? So it's not just in the corner as the black employee research group. It's supporting black employees worldwide and supporting black employees isn't just only them directly. It's what's all around them. So and it's the same with any other identity group. So, yeah, thinking more more strategically and holistically and not so just in a silo about programs. That's why I think that's the biggest problem with the DEI programs. Gotcha. Yeah, I think that absolutely makes sense. And I think there's going to be many organizations that I think start with the thinking of programs and then actually realizing some, like what you just mentioned, right? It's like, oh, programs, you know, tend to end and kind of figuring out, hopefully evolving to the point of, okay, this actually should belong 
and align with our long-term strategy and really be in the thread of our organization. So mm-hmm. I think that's kind of hopefully where many organizations kind of go towards. One other question, kind of more broad one around, are there any interesting trends that you're following right now in development and talent management? I think especially what's what's happened in 2020 and with the election with George Floyd and everything more, Breonna Taylor to the pandemic of COVID-19 and all the other things, I think people are exhausted and maxing out. And I think there a trend tends to be a lot of people feel like they're hitting a wall or they've come too mm. late or there's this are we done yet scenario. Like even I've seen the issues that are still among us, which are, you know, potentially professionals or hiring managers or leaders who are still blindsided and in their blind spots about what is going on, not just in the world with the biases and, you know, what's going on in the company's culture, but they're thinking like, are we done yet? And now there seems to be this fatigue from people of color like me or black and indigenous folks who are tasked with a lot of this stuff in companies or HR folks and people folks where it's like, this is going to take a lot longer than three or months or a summer (laughs) or just this year. There's a lot more work to do and that this is an ever evolving thing. I feel like everyone has just, again, had a racial reckoning and a big wake up to DNI and this huge shift and that the dinosaurs didn't just like and our evolution from anything else you believe, like didn't just happen overnight. Some things did, but then the effects and the impact were a lot bigger. So a lot of people are thinking about and a lot of professionals like me are helping companies pivot. They're thinking not just to like the short term and the band-aids and the just nows, again, that strategic aspect, but also thinking about outcomes and impact more. And right there, that's just teaching someone how to think differently. It's like when you go to a mental health therapist, you don't just go there for one or two sessions or for a couple months and then your thinking's pivoted completely. Some things will pivot, but with that, it's one of those things about thinking long-term that it's like losing weight. It's, you can't just run on the treadmill or your peloton for a couple months and be like, ta-da, you could. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> I know, right? New Year's resolutions are coming up, but a lot of people are just wanting more and more and more. And I think this just has to do with our American culture, especially after living and working in global relations and outside of the U.S. for a while. And I just think the trends are right now is people trying to finally get to a point where like, wow, one panel talking about DNI didn't work or just only hiring one person to direct every single DNI initiative for only the last three months isn't making the change that I want when it's like, well, you got to put into perspective. And I right. think what's really made the shift is people are not just thinking about these remedies. People are investing in bigger things like coaching, coaching and more investing in the people's skills and people's knowledge and comprehension of things and right. how they put in the practice. That's probably the biggest trend I've seen where people aren't just giving trainings. I mean, trainings are important, but they can also be performative. People are investing into coaches and not just coaches about like, how can I make this performance aspect of my employees better? But coaches of like, who are you as a leader? How are you leading? The other trend, too, is with managers, like managers are no longer just strong individual contributors who get promoted into that next step. It used to kind of be like that. You used to get away with that in an office where you could just peer over your employees. Now, managers really, truly are what I believe they're meant to be is they're supposed to take care of their people and supposed to uplift their people to the next level. And it's been really hard in this remote world, but it's really challenging people to not just think outside the box, but to go and be untraditional in ways that are not just innovative for the company and the products that people are making, but also respectful 
and holistic and genuine to the people you're trying to connect with. And so I think going skin deep with not just your management styles and your practices and principles, but also to how you develop yourself is something I think that's been a big trend. It's really complex. I can't just say like, oh, it's this program or this software. It's I mean, I think pay step in general is an outcome of that. You thrive on that in the sense of just the whole art of giving feedback, the importance of giving feedback. So many people just thought it was a checklist and pave step and even stuff I've been doing. We prove that it's bigger than that and far more nuanced. Yeah. And I think when you talk about the overarching theme around programs or thinking about this as a very short term initiative with an end date, just like most things with behavior change or culture shift, right? It takes time and it takes Mm -hmm. consistency. It takes effort. If it were that easy to kind of shift all of that behavior and culture in a few months, I think, you know, I don't know if we would have jobs, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I think it's uh, not an easy thing, right? It, and companies, organizations that absolutely have to take it really seriously and think about what that means from a long-term perspective. Yeah, and it has to be a constant thing. It sounds exhausting, but welcome to the days of marginalized people all the time. Like me as a femme, non-binary identifying person, but I, I do present as a very petite Asian American with a Latinx flair identity is like when I, you know, pre-COVID, when I would go outside, I had to think about what I'm wearing, how I'm presenting, how I'm walking, where I'm going. And you know what? I, I'm exhausted even just now thinking back to that, but it's something that I got used to doing. And it's not right because I had to do that for my safety, but it's just like training your muscles. The more you do it, it's not just the better you feel, but the more natural it becomes and the more process oriented in a way where it becomes like a well-oiled machine in your body. So that's one thing that I think people need to start doing is not thinking of like, is this the end and are we done yet? It's where do we go from here? What's next? That's why sometimes people will tell me like, Zara, tell me your best practices to approaching DNI, especially in HR and people and culture and organizational development. And I say, I want to talk about next practices because I can tell you the best practices, but again, best practices for your org may not be the same as another org and vice versa. Cause you know, I've been doing consulate and nonprofits for a long time, along with corporate organizations. I've had to take a similar, but a very different approach. And I can't diagnose or tell you that until I really get into the thick of the weeds and things and really start slowing down and listening and then be able to assess and make those decisions from what I've collected and all that data of listening to be able to move forward in a way that is not just both ethical, but that's both mindful and human for everyone in your company. Because if we don't do it right the first time, like, yes, we can fail. It's okay to fail and go back and try again, but it's going to be costly. And it's what's going to be the impact again and the outcome from that. So just being extra mindful and not trying to move at light speed, though us in tech love to do that. (laughs) But, you know, being able to move together in the thick of things is what's going to really get us through. Yeah, absolutely. Last fun question for you. In the spirit of supporting local businesses, small businesses around us, any one business or organization you want to give a shout out to? There's. Can I do two? Sure, sure. <laughs> a shameless plug for the two diversity, equity, inclusion-based firms that I do work with and I'm associated with. One of them is ran by, they're both Black-owned and founded. One is called Time Is Now Consulting. It was founded by a dear friend of mine and partner, Brittany Canty, who is this amazing product director in engineering, has worked in depth in tech. And she saw that there was gaps and problems with people understanding their technical audiences and approaching DNI from that way. So I've been helping her and have been currently working with her to keep that going and to help spread the message. And we both are aligned on the same thing that unconscious bias training doesn't work. We're against it. But it's not that we're against own like unconscious bias training in general. It's more of that it can't be the only thing you do. Don't hire us to just do one. That needs to be 
again, a holistic approach. The other one would be Global Equity Forward. It's a business that just launched mm. by a woman named Maya Fisher. She is a black woman who's been working in the U.S.-Japan space for a very long time, but she's like a double master's Ph.D. educator. And she approaches education, not just in the nonprofit and government sectors, but corporate sectors in a very historical and mm. lack of a better way, juicy way where like I took a race and ethnicity class from her of America And even as someone like me who's been working in the DEI and people and culture space for 10 years, learned so much of what I did and did not know about American history and how that has impacted me day to day, not just in my life, but at work when I manage my team and employees to when I advise businesses and also CEOs and senior leaders. And she has just recently launched her business. So I want to give a plug to Yes, Time is Now Consulting and also Global Equity Forward, because not just are they minor or black women own business, but they're doing it in a different way than the normal D&I consulting firm. And it's boutique. But it's one of those ways where it's very personal, very educative, but also very actionable and something that really is, again, like you said, embedded in the threads of the people. Well, awesome. Thank you so much for your time yes. here, Zara. Where can the audience find you in your thought leadership? Yes, um, you can definitely connect to me on LinkedIn, which is, you know, I go by Lara Francis Zara Espinoza. If you connect with me, please include a note so I know that you listen to this wonderful podcast. <laughs> and I'm more likely to accept just because I like knowing who I connect with. Also, my Instagram, which is exhilarate Zara, all one word. The reason why it's called exhilarate Zara is the word exhilarate has my legal name in it. So it's extra special. And also it means to awaken or to animate because how I got into tech was through owning and operating my corporate wellness business. So that mm. was the name mm. of my business, exhilarate. So you can find me on Instagram and or LinkedIn. I prefer LinkedIn. Awesome. Well, everyone, thank you for listening to Working With People by PaveStep. Feel free to check out other episodes on pavestep.com slash podcast. Thank you, Zara. Thank you so much. Adios.